Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me, as always, is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everybody. In case it's the first time you've heard our podcast, uh, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. I write for autoguide.com and I also perform admirably, admirably, or at least I try to perform on camera, Ben. 60% of the time he performs. <laughs> yes. And Ben can be found all over the automotive media landscape. I've seen his content on uh, Autoguide as well, as well as autotrader.ca, as well as the New York Daily News and Haggerty, just to name just a few of the publications that you can find his content. But today, we're going to talk on this podcast, the only podcast that I know Ben does. I don't know how many other podcasts. Well, I do a few other podcasters under, podcasts under a variety of pseudonyms and aliases, but <laughs> uh, contractually, I'm obligated to say this is the only podcast I do. <laughs> Thank you. I don't we know why I signed of... that. <laughs> yeah, it was a, I mean, honestly, I got a great deal with that. Um, we've got some cars to talk about this week, don't we? I think we do. I mean, I think I, you have you have a car you've been dying to talk about for a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, actually, I wanted to talk to you about um, one very affordable car and one much more upscale, much more bigger, uh, much more bigger, car. much more larger than life vehicle. So, which one would you rather meet? Uh, the smaller than life or the larger than life? The larger than life, I think. The larger than life car that I got to test was the Mazda CX-9. The twenty, I think it's a twenty nineteen Mazda CX-9. And for the latest model year, Mazda has added a couple of small tweaks to their vehicle to make it more uh, competitive in this extremely tough landscape, especially with new cars like, say, the Volkswagen Atlas hitting the market. That new Subaru Ascent is out there as well. And then there's the always popular Toyota Highlander, Ford Explorer. And um, did I say Honda Pilot? Because that's pretty that's pretty popular too. It's interesting because Mazda with the CX-9, I think it was the first vehicle of theirs that really kind of pushed them past their established buyer base, and they kind of they were reaching for a customer that maybe wouldn't have considered a Mazda, like an, a more upscale customer. At, at least that's possible. At the top trim level of that car, it's the Signature. Is that what it's called? That's right. Um, I was driving that top le- that top level model, and you're right. There's a lot to be said about the quality, the design, and, and it's not just like exterior design that makes you go, "Oh wow, that's pretty." There's a gorgeous interior design that's full of unique des- like cues, really nice attention to detail that you wouldn't expect from a company as small as Mazda. No, it's it's a well executed car, and it's it's very different from the rest of the Mazda lineup, and that's something that really stood out to me when I drove it. It's been a little while since I've been behind the wheel. I went to the launch, and I believe I drove it a second time um, mm-hmm. since then. But, uh, yeah, it's it, we're kind of seeing this trend in car companies taking their largest SUVs and, and really pushing them in an upscale direction. But it's, it's you know, not the only version of the CX-9 you can get. If you, if you want a more affordable one, it's out there. It, it, Mazda's not yeah. alienating its existing buyer base, but it's kind of trying to bridge a gap. And... Uh, I don't know what it costs a car company to do that, but it seems like a decent gamble to make, especially if you can pull it off as well as they have with the CX-9. Okay, so let's just uh, follow up on what you mentioned there. For starters, you can get a CX-9 for as low as $33,000. That's a front-wheel drive version of the car. It's called the Sport. And I had the signature model, which was just about $45,000. And I also have to say... Um, this is kind of like a halo product in, in many ways. It kind of demonstrates just how far 
you can take or how far Mazda can go when they're when they're given a, a bigger budget, uh, more space to add um, unique features. So this was like, I think the first car of theirs to feature the 2.5 liter turbocharged Skyactive engine. It also has a really um, upscale interior, um, nice leather, really cool chrome and wood accents that don't look, I, I mean, I don't want to sound, now I'm going to sound a little like millennially, but when I see some wood interiors, I kind of say that screams old man. Um, and this doesn't have that, this doesn't have that at all, actually. It feels really classy and, and it, it's a good fit when, when you take a look at this interior. And moving on from the CX-9, though, like the the design queue has translated really well into the new CX-5, which is starting to look more upscale as well. So I think that Mazda's done a really good job of showcasing what they're capable of doing when um, when they're given more leeway, I think. And they don't have a luxury brand to protect like Toyota and Honda do. Yeah, uh, so I guess they can go all out, right? Well, they can go as all out as they think that will fit into their showroom. Like, you, you don't want to... Look at look at what Hyundai did with Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. They eventually moved those vehicles out of the the standard Hyundai showroom because it was kind of they saw an opportunity to to start their own brand. They have a ton of money that Mazda just doesn't have, so they can push really really far in that direction. But I think Mazda has to walk the line because it's you don't want to end up with a bunch of signature inventory that no one's going to buy. Right. I mean, regardless uh, of how good the vehicle is, you still have to get the customer who can afford that vehicle into the showroom. I mean, one of the toughest things is convincing people that a a Mazda is for them. Um, I think it's tough to find Mazda dealerships for money people. And that's one of the things that I find the hardest to convince. Like uh, whenever I say, oh, the new CX-5, I love the CX-5, to be honest. And I really like the Mazda 3. And whenever I tell people about these, they say, yeah, but the Mazda dealership's uh, really far away. Or I've had really good, I've heard really good experiences from my local Honda or Toyota dealership. And that's just the way it goes. I really hope that people start to, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't gain anything from it, but I do think that they make some of the most interesting um, vehicles in the market. And I would, I would love to see more people wandering into a Mazda dealership and because I think they'll come away impressed. Now, there's one thing I want to say about the CX-9. And oh, there's a lot to say about the CX-9, man. Well, I, I, I'm glad you're filled to the brim, Sammy, but um, let me let me stand on that point. It, the vehicle, it it's kind of has an interesting history because the previous generation car, which was oh, built right. until about 2015, um, it was really fun to drive because it was, I think, the last Mazda that had hydraulic steering assist. <laughs> and it also had a pretty tight chassis for a very large crossover. So it was weird. It was, it was like... You're kind of driving this outlier that there's no other crossover that has three rows or whatnot that that kind of had that same feel from behind the wheel. And then you get into the new one, and the new one is very good, but it is nowhere near as fun to drive. And I think that's fine because I don't think anyone really wants a fun to drive three row crossover. I don't think that customer is in that segment. Uh, mm -hmm. People are willing to compromise for practicality and fuel efficiency and the, a beautiful interior and whatnot. But uh, it's it's kind of, um, I don't know, it, it always struck me as Mazda's moving in a more, I don't hesitate to use the word mature, but maybe they're taking more of a cue from the market than they are from their their history of, of building these types of vehicles. Right. Um, I still think this is one of the more fun to drive, like, three-row crossovers. Not that that's like an, a, 
I don't think that's a benefit anyway. I don't know why a three-row crossover needs to be um, a really tight driven package, like with, with such responsive steering. And that's what this car has. I think that's a bit of a, um, I don't know. I don't think that's a good judgment of what people in this class are looking for. And I also find it to be a tiny bit stiff in some ways. Um, this, this 20, in 2018, they actually added that G vectoring control, which is, um, it's kind of like a torque based, um, a torque vectoring based handling function. Basically when you turn the steering wheel left or right, the car will shift uh, or will cut torque a little bit to send weight to the front wheels and improve, um, the handling feel. And I think that's actually really much more noticeable in this vehicle than other Mazda vehicles. Wait, it, it's, it sends, say that again. It, it sends torque it, no, to no, the front it cuts, wheels. It cuts torque so that the weight shift is go, like goes forward. There's a weight shift that goes slightly forward. It's about 13 pound feet of torque. It's not that, that significant. Um, so that you end up putting a little bit more weight on the front tires whenever you, whenever you, you turn the wheels. So it, it will enhance steering in a very, very, very subtle way. Uh, yeah, I'm and, assuming that this vehicle weighs like 4,000 pounds, right? I don't have the the weight specs in front of me. At least I don't think so. Let me uh, let me just panic here and try to find it as always I do on this. I podcast. feel like maybe if the ghost of Ayrton Senna was driving the CX-9, he might be able to detect the subtle, <laughs> yeah. the subtle weight transfer. Did 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 you notice it when you were tooling around town, like? I mean, no, not really. But it is what I'm trying to. What I'm trying to add is that the car you can feel um, that it's it's a it's a bit sportier. Okay, well, this car well, this car well, weighs forty three thousand pounds. Forty three hundred. Uh, forty three hundred. Yes. What did I say? Forty three thousand. That's a pretty <laughs> heavy car. Um, oh no! I swore on the you podcast. Just, we have you to, just cursed. We have to, oh no! That's oh, the I'm first sorry. time. That's the first time. Where does the first swear jar? Time. Wow. Oh um, man. Yeah, back to the family-friendly automotive content. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so you know, you say sporty, and you, you, you talk about this system, but I think that it's just kind of it's layering technology on... It has on, very heavy steering. It yeah. feels like they're going for something. Yeah, you're layering technology on top of a, heavy, of a heavy chassis, whereas I think the older CX-9 was just by its nature an intri- interesting vehicle to drive. And I think these right. are two different things. Okay, But, but again... We're spending a lot of time talking about something that 99% of buyers yeah. don't care about. It's, Absolutely. I mean, so, if you cared about that, you're not buying a crossover, period. Exactly. You just aren't. Um, let me mention that 2.5 liter turbo is a, is really solid. It makes 310 horsepower, um, and you can also operate it with uh, different... Actually, it makes 310 pound-feet of torque. It, use, it makes 310 pound-feet of torque and 250 horsepower when using premium fuel. You can use regular, and you'd get 227 horsepower, uh, which is an interesting distinction. Um, it uses a six-speed automatic. I kind of wish Mazda has moved would move away from this automatic because it would improve the fuel economy of this car. And yeah, but I you don't know, think you know, if they did, they'd move towards a CVT. And do you really want a CVT in this thing? That's true. Um, it's tough right now because everyone is gaining the same 23 miles per gallon combined for their all-wheel drive vehicles. That's what you can find in the Ascent, which comes standard all-wheel drive. Uh, that's what you'll get with the Pilot, with the um, Highlander, the, the regular gasoline Highlander. So I feel like there's no really big separation 
factor, no standout factor in any of the three-row crossovers when it comes to fuel economy. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It, it is largely a homogenous class in terms of performance in, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And uh, I think also fuel economy is one of those areas where if you're buying a big car, you're going to be making some sacrifices, especially when you consider the fact that let's say you're buying a three-row crossover because you have a large family mm-hmm. and you're going to be filling up at least two rows, maybe three. That's mm-hmm. easily six, 700 more pounds in the car. I right, mean, at, got extra people or passengers for sure, yes. I mean, or a cargo, yeah. So you're going to have trouble meeting that 23 miles per gallon, which is done with the car empty in a highly unrealistic driving cycle that's, that the EPA uses. And I'll say even I spent a lot of time on the highway and I was struggling to get the the highway rating, which is 26 miles per gallon. Um, I was struggling to, to meet that uh, and I wasn't driving very fast at all. And to give you to give you an idea of 26 miles per gallon in the real world. So you're saying you weren't able to hit that, right? But mm-hmm. my my Cadillac, which has 400 horsepower from a pushrod V8 and a six-speed manual transmission, will do 24-25 on the highway. Yeah. So I mean, it it, it weighs probably six seven hundred pounds less than the Mazda, and mm-hmm. it has more power, but it's still getting similar mileage. And it, it's it's that's just the kind of thing you have to accept when you buy a vehicle this big. Uh, some of the new features or, or equipment that they've added to this vehicle is a heated steering wheel, um, some power passenger seat uh, adjustment, uh, heated outboard second row seats, as well as traffic sign recognition and front parking sensors. I love front parking sensors. I think they're really important uh, with a vehicle this big. Do you think modern kids fight over not having to sit on that middle unheated seat? Like, do you think that's the new shotgun? It's like, <laughs> I don't call middle heated uh, middle. Is it called the chiller or the freezer? I mean, like. If you have two people on the on the outside, if you have two people sitting in the outboard seats and somebody in the middle, they're gonna get warm just via like body. Heat, but not on their butt cheeks, dude. And that's what counts in the winter. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's. I love that we're discussing like oh the iniquity of not having a heated middle seat. Like we heated never heated had that no we heated second row seats are to me the ultimate luxury. I mean, yeah. I I never sit back there, but at the same time, like it's inconceivable to me if, if you talked to me like 20 years ago and been like. Like, oh, yeah, every, there's going to be heat everywhere except that middle seat. And I'd be like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, you can also get a pretty a pretty well-rounded safety um, suite in the CX-9 that comes with automatic high beams, lane departure warning, lane keep assist, uh, radar cruise control with that comes to a complete stop, which is pretty interesting. I'm, but I'm, I'm, I... No, go, go on, sorry. No, no finish. finish what you're I will say the, the biggest thing I enjoyed about the CX-9 in terms of its safety features is the LED lighting. And that's something that doesn't get a lot of attention. But um, I was traveling in, an, in a relatively unknown city um, at night and having bright lights that can, that can illuminate street signs or, or stop signs is a huge help. And relatively not many... unknown city. Is this a city that's like you discovered or a city you're unfamiliar with? <laughs> Well, I mean, when you're, I actually, I actually went to your, uh, your neck of the woods. Uh, oh, and you didn't call me? I did. We went to a <laughs> hockey game. Don't you remember? <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, I, I like LED headlights too. I mean, they're cool because they're cool. They don't generate a lot of heat and they don't, <laughs> they don't, but that's, that's a pro and a con because it's great for, you know, just the, the overall system is any heat you can get rid of is always a plus. But in the winter, it's harder to melt snow and ice off of the headlights because there's right. not as much heat generated. But the other thing that's nice about them is they don't draw a lot of power. So, I find them to be absolutely um, essential. The the light, the the I also like the really sharp light cutoff. I think that's an important thing. You don't end up blinding people. You also have a good reflection 
um, uh, of street signs. You were, you the, were talking about this, the, the safety systems. I have a question to ask you. Um, sure. it, did it have lane departure assist, d- assistance? Yes, it did. Did it do that weird Mazda thing where it plays a low tone whenever you go over the line? Um, I didn't hear it, so I think I t- I think it was turned off in in my tester. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with how Mazda decided to, I love to, it though. I really no, don't. How do can enjoy you love that. this? Okay. It's Let's so. Let's explain it. Let's explain. Yeah, I'm going to explain it. So here we go. It, it, you know how some it, cars, uh, if you if you go over the center line or the side the line on the side of the road, it flashes a light or it goes beep 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 or whatever. So what Mazda decided to do is if you go over the light, it goes. Like this low range tone, like maybe you've accidentally touched a live wire in the car and you're being electrocuted and that's the sound of raw electricity in your eardrums. (laughs) It is super weird. And if you're listening to like loud music, you might think it's just static in the music or maybe a bass line you've never heard before. It's, It's the strangest notification ever because in a loud environment like driving with tire noise and other car noise, low frequency sound doesn't penetrate through any other noise. You always want a high frequency sound. Mm-hmm. So I've never understood this system. Sammy, you love it. I don't know why. Can you, can really you maybe do. tell I me? I find it to be a little bit less – I find it to be far less jarring than like the high-pitched beeping that most cars uh, provide with their uh, – So, so uh, the fact that it doesn't actually notify you very effectively it, is it what does. you like most I about it. I find that it, it's a little bit more subtle – um, then, then most systems is what I'm trying to get at. The one, the setting that it was set to on mine was like a, a vibration and that was good enough for me. Yeah. I like vibration. I mean, it goes without saying, but the, uh, my favorite one is the GM, uh, safety seat, the seat. because it just vibrates you in the driver's seat and none of your passengers know how close they came to dying. It's <laughs> yeah. the best. It's so stealthy. A couple of, uh, of issues I had with the car were the, the, the driving position I could never get comfortable, and as I said, I, I went on a nice uh, six to seven hour um, road trip in it, and uh, no matter Into what, the I, found, I found my 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 back aching. I found that I had to stretch. I wanted to stop all the time and and kind of get out and stretch my body a little bit, and that's not something like Ben. We drive cars. We drive cars like this for hours on end uh, on events and. I find that to be a standout when the car is signif- is like noticeably cramped feeling. Yeah, it's it, I you know, we were talking about the Jeep Wrangler a few weeks ago that I had and there's something I forgot to mention that I, it's been in the back of my mind. There's no dead pedal in the vehicle. Oh, no. Yeah, so on your left foot is just kind of dangling. I had the it's automatic. Right yeah. And it was it, it doesn't sound like a big deal until it's hour 2 of driving the vehicle and you're like, "Oh, man, your foot is kind of there's no place for it. Like your posture, your entire posture has to change to place your foot flat on the floor." So it's like it's a little detail like that. I don't understand why the Jeep doesn't have it cuz it seems like an unusual omission. But yeah, these things can add up. And the other issue I do have with the CX-9 is that the infotainment system needs to be updated. I don't think, uh, although it's very, although it's very easy to use, it's it's quite simple. Um, it's a it's a simple rotary. It seems like a really, the best way to describe it is like, I drive, like at its basic level. It's a yeah, it's it a is knob operated system. It is and, not competitive, and the knobs are in a bad place. Your arms run into them. Uh, depending, it depends on which Mazda you're in, but a lot of the time I find that I end up accidentally hitting controls I didn't mean to hit with my elbow, hmm. uh, and, and I don't like the system very much. I, I find the menus are a little more complex than they need to be. Like you said, it works, but it's not the standout part of the vehicle. It's too bad because the rest of the interior is very, very good. 
Right. And I mean, you end up, I think you end up getting a little frustrated at how limiting the infotainment system can be at times, especially actually searching for places um, was, was really, was really an issue, a a worse issue than I would have expected. Um, It means that every time you want to change, you want to, you want to search for for a navigation um, entry, you end up having to input the city and the, um, like the postal code or something like that. And you won't get any suggestions until you you do that, even if you know the name of the place or even if it's in the same city or it's or if you it, it was really frustrating to to find where we were trying to go at times. Um, but that's what that was the one car I had. I'll switch it over to you. I'll give my I'll give myself a little speaking break so that you can tell me what you've driven and then we'll talk about one more car. Well, I drove a vehicle that you've actually driven before. Surprise, surprise. And it's a direct competitor to the Mazda CX-9, and it's a little bit newer. Uh, it's the 2019 Subaru Outback. So we've talked about the Outback before. Sammy really likes the Outback, don't you? Yeah, I don't mind it at all, actually. There's a couple of things that I wish um, they could they could get a little bit sharper. Like, I think Subaru has the guts to, to improve the Outback. But other than that, I mean, we'll talk about those in a second, but I do think it's a really good overall competitive package. Yeah, so I, I, I echo the sentiments. For me, the thing with the current Outback is I feel there was a time when the Outback, it's, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's it's a, a crossover, um, two rows. It's used to be a wagon, and a, a pumped-up wagon, and now it's much bulkier than it used to be. So it's it's fairly large, but it has tons of interior room. It's comfortable. Uh, it has decent fuel mileage i guess uh it's not you know head of the pack it's standard all-wheel drive like the ascent that sammy was talking about earlier the version i was driving came with a two and a half liter four-cylinder engine and a cvt so okay. it's about 175 horsepower yeah which is not a lot it's not problematic but you do notice that it is a very average vehicle in terms of acceleration and mm. and passing power and whatnot but the thing for me is the current Outback just seems to have lost a lot of the personality that the older models had. And whether that was a styling personality or just the way it drove, the the, the current Outback drives very much like most other crossovers. And that's neither good nor bad. It's it's very milk toast in a way. And I think that the majority of buyers will be completely fine with that. But it's kind of strange that Subaru, which is a company that has such an intense personality and a strong link to its customers based on that personality, has kind of allowed the Outback to just bloom and blossom to the point where it's bulked up and it's very much like everything else you really think so you think that it's missing a certain um like like charm yeah 100 percent. i mean i i owned a first gen out back a 98 um not that long ago i guess like six seven years ago and it it, a much smaller vehicle, much more engaging to drive, um, different kind of power delivery. I mean, with the CVT, it's gonna it's gonna attenuate whatever acceleration you're trying to do. And and to Subaru's credit, the CVT continuously variable transmission in the Outback is unobtrusive. You only really notice it if you're hammering the throttle trying to merge or something like that. But it's just the vehicle's bland. And not bland in a bad way. And it's really hard to talk about a vehicle like this because when I say words like bland and no personality and, and milk toast and similar to everything else, it makes it sound like, oh, why would you ever buy this? Well, the reason you want to buy it is because it's incredibly practical and it's well-priced and uh, it's going to be reliable and, and gives you great four seasons capability. So all of those things are excellent, but none of those things are unique anymore. 
And okay. I think at, I think at one point the Outback was unique, and now it's kind of just one of several options, like the CX-9. I mean, the CX-9 stands out because of its interior, which is really, really nice. But I couldn't say that about the Outback. I mean, the Outback interior is absolutely fine, but it's not something where I would open the door and say, oh, wow, this is kind of a step above the competition. Uh, what is the competition of the Outback? That's my biggest problem when discussing the Outback. It seems like a, an outlier. It's this big – it's not a compact – it is not a full size because it doesn't have three rows of seats. I, I think and, it's. I think it goes up against vehicles like the CX-9 for people who don't need the third row. I mean, look at the no Sorento. Way. The Sorento I think the Ascent goes up against the the CX-9. The Ascent does now, but for a while, I mean, the Outback was as big as it got. I, look at the look at the Sorento. It's a vehicle that can have three or three rows or two rows, and I think the Outback is kind of in that same class. Okay. Um, but it just stuck with the two row thing. I so thought it, it would compete against the Ford Edge and the Nissan Murano. I think. Yeah, that's, that's and those the, are that's only two vehicles, right? Like that's not a lot. Maybe well, the Grand Cherokee. No, I don't think it competes. Regular against Cherokee? It. No, I don't. Yeah, regular Cherokee is smaller, much smaller. So like uh, that's such a see, weird. That's, the thing. that's my funny part about the the Outback is it's for a very specific person. Well, it's it's for an Outback customer, and luckily <laughs> Subaru. No, but it, I say that because Subaru has a lot of them. Subaru yeah. builds vehicles for repeat buyers, and that's that's a good thing because they have great loyalty. But when I say it goes up against vehicles like the CX-9, it's because, like you said, it's a tweener. I mean, it's not necessarily – you can't have a competitive set of three vehicles. That's that's kind of weird. I mean, do you include things like the um, – the uh, what is it? The, the Chevrolet uh, – not the Blazer, although I guess maybe the Blazer yeah, now. Yeah, the new Blazer. That Blazer yeah. is quite expensive if you haven't noticed. Uh, yeah, yeah I have heard. certain features, uh, you have to end up spending almost forty grand for it. Yeah. So, uh, or the is the Rav Four an Outback competitor? Because to me, the Outback's much larger. I mean, the Outback's like what, close to seventy cubic feet of cargo space? It's huge. I yeah. think it's more than that. It's got. Um, so it's I, again, is this is the Outback not necessarily having a competitive set a result of a decision on Subaru's part, or is it the result of drift from the original mission? And how do you describe the original mission? It was a legacy wagon. It, it on was stilts. a legacy wagon on stilts, and I think the Crosstrek has kind of taken over that segment for Subaru, because okay. it's roughly the same size as the first generation legacy, That's so and it impressive. does it does basically the same thing. <laughs> That's so impressive. <laughs> but uh, um, there are some things that I really wish Subaru could improve. Like if there was going to be a next generation Outback, and I'm almost certain there is going to oh, be. Oh, of course, this thing just prints money. It's it's a very very reliable. <laughs> the the other thing is here's here's my final point. Competitive set it goes up against the Forester. That's that's weird, right? I mean, you know, to have them both in the showroom side by side, the styling is really different, but the end result is extremely similar. Okay. Um, I wish this car's powertrain was um, improved. I hope I hope it gets the like a really good loving touch in the next generation. Well, you I can think... still get the 3.6R if you want the the six cylinder with 256 horsepower and terrible fuel mileage. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get. It. A 256 horsepower. They have a new 2.4 liter flat four that's found in the Ascent. It should be in this Outback. It should be. There's no. There should be no excuse. Um, wow, that's harsh words from Sammy Hatchesad towards Subaru. No excuse. Are you going to curse at them too? No. <laughs> I almost forgot what you were talking about. Or <laughs> even the, WR, the the WRX motor or the what was in the old Forester XT. Oh, you, which just, is... you just want to put the WRX motor in everything. They used to make it an Outback XT. And yeah. my friend – actually, I rode in one recently. A friend of mine has one. And, and, see, and this tell is me what, what I... that was like. Tell me well, – tell, is... me, tell me because you said – 
It's lost its charm. I want yeah, to know if this that... is what I'm saying. It's there used to be all of these different aspects of the Outback that made it unique, and they're gone now. That XT is gone. The Forester XT is gone as well. Hmm. Uh, it's it's becoming a homogenous SUV experience. We're we're all entering the what's the word? The singularity. It's the SUV singularity <laughs> where everything is as as everything else is, and you can't really get outside of it. And you know that it's it's. A little terrifying. Okay, so let's let's we need to break out of the singularity with personality, with cards that with if they're going to be crossovers, they have to be special, unique crossovers. Well, they and, don't have to. That's the thing, though. That that's why the singularity exists is because crossovers don't have to be unique and special because they're boring by nature, and that's fine. They're, no! They are. A, they're a tool. They're a tool that you use and then you discard it when your kids are old enough You're... to like. You're so tough to talk to, man. You you just hate everything. Well, how am I hating on it? You're well, the one I'm who says they have to. But I, I I'm saying think... they're perfectly fine, and I'm actually affirming the crossover and SUV scene. And you're like, no crossovers and SUVs. Crossover you're not interesting be... enough, and I'm yeah, exactly. not interested in you. I think I, I'm I'm continuing what I'm saying. I think it's a downside if they are um, if they have no charm, no personality, because then you're just going with what? A badge or whatever dealership. So you're saying 90% of the crossover market is a downside to you. No, I think that there are some with, um, some upsides, some really significant upsides. Like I said, a killer feature. I've mentioned this about the Forester. The Forester has some really unique, um, safety features. Oh my goodness. Don't start talking about the robot surveillance again. (laughs) Yes, I am. I won't talk. I won't bring it up, but at least there's that. Um, (laughs) You know, you're, one day Linda Hamilton's going to kick down the door to your house and extend her hand and say, come with me if you want to live, because she has an accent. I can't wait for that one day. Um, then there's other cars that are kind of unique, too. They, there's like a trail-rated Cherokee, for example, with the six-cylinder, which is hard. That's hard to find in this segment, right? Then there's uh, something like the CX-5, which we just mentioned, has a very uh, upscale interior and exterior. And I think it's now going to be coming with a turbocharged 2.5-liter turbo. I said turbo twice now. That's how turbo, excited turbo, I am turbo. about it. Turbocharged um, turbo. Then there's something like, say, the RAV4, which has a hybrid. You know, there's vehicles that have selling features, unique qualities. Okay. Uh, what I is agree. it in, the, in something like the Outback? I agree with you that the RAV4 hybrid is an excellent vehicle, but I don't agree with you that it's interesting in any way. <laughs> it is if you like fuel economy and if you like the idea of a hybrid, a hybrid And if vehicle. you think liking fuel economy is interesting... <laughs> A whole all of Tesla is people who wanted to make the world environment. How many environment. fuel economy Facebook groups are you a part of, Sammy? Look, that is private information. You or is it? Yeah. Oh wait, <laughs> I have to make that private on my Facebook account. <laughs> Too late. Uh oh. Too late. Um. No, I. You're naming things that make vehicles. Uh, appealing to the buyer and that's not what we're talking about i think we're talking about vehicles that are interesting and i think those are two different things no yeah i can okay i mean there's nothing about the outback where someone would get in it and be like "Ugh, i don't want this i'm gonna go across the street to buy the identical vehicle you know what i'm saying like i think that the 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 qx50 with -hmm. its amazing interior i think that's yeah yeah, it, that makes it. I think that makes it more interesting. But it, it it's it's a, it's a difficult line to walk. Uh, the the is the Trackhawk version of the Grand Cherokee interesting? I mean, yes, but it's yeah. also it's also a huge it's, outlier that very few people will buy. It's insane and expensive. 
<laughs> so it's uh, I don't know. It just I don't think that the raison d'être for the entire segment is to be interesting. I think it's to fulfill a need. And that's fine. It's like pickup trucks. Pickup trucks don't have to be interesting. I mean, but I love but don't we love the ones that are? Well, I can't think of too many that are. The Ram, think, the new Ram 1500, super interesting. The new Raptor uh, or, or F150 Raptor, super I, interesting. I don't find the Raptor interesting. I think we're looking at vehicles that are, you know, have tons of features and are very comfortable, but in terms of like driving, I mean, I don't know. We're really going down a rabbit hole here on this I interesting cars. I just think there are utilitarian segments of the market where it's okay to be boring. And I right. think crossovers and pickups are in that segment. Like a Tacoma is is a pretty boring truck, but it does it's an excellent truck at the same time. Like you right. drive it and you're not like, oh, this is exciting to drive, but you well, can that, do exciting things with it. You can like, if you want to go off road, you can do that. You can you can um, customize it. You can tow with it. You can do things that are fun and interesting. But I don't think that makes the vehicle itself fun and interesting. I don't know. Maybe a whole bunch of Tacoma owners are going to write to me about and be angry about that because I do like that vehicle a lot. But I just don't think trucks are necessarily exciting to drive, and and crossovers aren't exciting to drive. I think some sedans are exciting to drive, and some sports cars. And it's some compact cars that are exciting to drive as okay, well, well if because a sport, if a sports car is not is not exciting to drive, it's it's it shouldn't. They need to fix that. That's a problem. Well, I think there are quite a few. I mean, don't you? Yeah, I mean, there are some. <laughs> I mean, look <laughs> at the I, M4. We don't like look at the M4. Ones. Is the M4 exciting to drive? Is that is like it's so hard to classify what is what a true sports car Ooh, is anymore? Totally dodging the question. But like, is an M4 a real sports car? Sammy is sponsored by BMW, so he he can't. He has to be careful. Here. <laughs> That's the ultimate question. He's walking through a minefield. Um, okay, well, I actually I want to bring up a car that I found to have personality in a very interesting way, and I didn't expect it to have personality because it was a very affordable vehicle. It was the Nissan Kicks. I just got out of this. Um, this is a, comp, a subcompact crossover that sits below the Rogue Sport or Cash Guy in Canada. It starts at $17,000, which is a, a pretty solid price, and it tops out at around $25,000. That's US, both, both of those. Um, it's only available with front wheel drive, which is kind of weird. If you're kind of CHR. Kind of CHR, yes. And that's a great point to bring up. That's another. That's another car that that that's a car that would compete directly with this Kicks. Um, and it uses a 1.6 liter four cylinder engine that makes 125 horsepower. All of this Ooh. sounds really, really. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm out the door like, on my exactly. way to buy a Kicks right now. No, no, you wouldn't. You would do. You would kind of like look at me with a with a with an eyebrow cocked, being like, "What you talking about? What is this? What is this car? Nobody wants to buy this thing." But the truth is, it weighs. About 2,600 pounds, 26 to 2,700 pounds. Wait, it's 27? Wait a minute. The, a Miata weighs 2,500 pounds. <laughs> yeah, man. And the Kicks weighs 200 pounds more than a Miata? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure that's accurate? That's what their spec sheet says, and I'm telling you, driving it is actually one of the funnest experiences I've had in a crossover because it's so eager to, to respond. It's very light and feels very light on its feet. And because it's a small, a compact crossover, the, the turning radius is really nice and tight. Um, and it just is a little lively. There's something about it that made me kind of happy to, to be in it. And that's very rare in this segment. Have you driven an HRV before, a Honda HRV? 
Yeah, I have, and it is. <laughs> it's I mean, a it is not. Bluff, is it not? It is not great. It's I mean, the vehicle bluff. is it's super useful, but it is dog slow, mm-hmm. and uh, it's because it, here's the weird thing: the fit, which is so. <laughs> yes, it's exactly like fun. driving. Okay, the 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 kicks is like driving a fit. That's what I that's what I think. Okay. It's extremely interesting, and I really I cannot wait for you to drive one and to take a look at it. Um, it's loaded with some kind of neat technology. It it feels like it's punching above its its weight class in some ways. It's got uh you know forward collision alert. It's got blind spot monitoring. It's got uh, a nice big touchscreen with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support. It doesn't have a navigation system. Obviously, people are expected to plug in their phones and uh, use either Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Plus, it's the weight savings, right? Do you think that a navigation system? No, I'm just messing. Okay, and it's um and it's got like a, a kind of pseudo digital dash. It's got like one analog dash and one ginormous screen, like screen, like square screen that takes up the other half of the dash. And so at least it looks kind of modern. I will admit, like some of the materials in it are a little uh, lower grade. And I wasn't expecting that. But again, if for a vehicle that tops out at twenty five thousand dollars, how much leeway are we are we giving it in terms of in terms of like luxury or quality feeling? Well, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what a base model is like, because a, a rogue sport is about twenty two grand to start with. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to be able to, to make sure that there's enough room between the vehicles where people don't just get into kicks, spec it out how they'd like it and then realize the larger rogue sport is better for them. But uh, a question for you is. How does this kicks? And I want to say kicks is spelled K I C K S, not K I X, like the breakfast cereal. Right. Um, it, how does the kicks compare to the Ford EcoSport? I haven't driven the EcoSport yet. Have but... you been inside of one? Yes. Yes. Yes, you have. So let's fun. talk it's... about that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, without driving the EcoSport, I can't definitively talk about everything about it. But what I've read about it, it is it is completely forgettable, and the interior as well seems. Um, to follow that that uh, mantra, it is. Some... See, Sammy's not sponsored by Ford, so he can say EcoSport completely forgettable. But M4 is. Hmm, hmm, what is really a sports car anyway? Hmm. Yeah, perhaps uh, perhaps that's a topic for another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about again? You're talking about the EcoSport and how it's how you how you dislike it. So all, all I'm getting at is that. Um, we got to talk about what makes this kick so like successful in this feeling. I, mean, I don't know what it is that makes it feel um, interesting, like like lively and, and fun. And I think it's because it's basic. I think I think people uh, basic vehicles are interesting to drive because you're actually driving. The CHR and, felt a much more serious than the kicks, even though it's essentially the same. Serious? What does that mean? It felt a little bit less. It felt a little bit stiffer, a little bit more like uh, rigid. It felt like it was trying to achieve some sort of like it. It it, it sounded like driving dynamics was one of the check boxes for the engineers. And what was the and on kicks? What was that box instead? Nothing. It was like comfortable. Like make it work. I don't know. Like make it work for this price tag and for this weight category. It was and... just the price tag and a question mark and a checkbox. <laughs> Honestly, it is the it is such a humorous event. It's like you know the micro. You've driven a micro before. Yes. And the micro has as well some of this quality of being like a little uh, a little what's the best word to like shook up little funny little chihuahua thing, right? Like to well, be like know, let's to- go for it. To American listeners who aren't familiar, the Micro is a subcompact that Nissan sells in Canada for, like, less than $10,000. It's very small. 
and yet for some reason, especially when you get the manual model, you end up kind of not minding it. It's it's very agile little car. It's, it it's is in, it is with. interesting to drive. It yes. is one hundred percent interesting to drive. And I feel that way with the kicks as well. Even though and it that's has what a was... CVT and a regular six one point six liter four cylinder engine. I think that, you know, when we were talking earlier about vehicle classes of vehicles that are interesting to drive, I think that at the entry level, you'll find surprising options like this because of how um, stripped down they are and how many layers have been removed between you and the road. Are there any and, other models like that where you're just like, oh, this is like uh, really basic X, Y, and Z really... Uh, oh, the fit, the, fit is a, the fit is a good example That's like right. we were talking the about before. Is... It's not a vehicle that you would think would be interesting, e even um, though the horsepower is, is quite low. But it's the specs really don't tell you the whole story with that vehicle, right? So, and uh, it it's it is an intriguing automobile. I I don't believe that this vehicle weighs twenty five hundred pounds. Where are you even seeing this weight? Let me show. Let me get it for you. You're gonna let me show you're you. Gonna love, you're gonna love this. Twenty six thirty nine to twenty six seventy two. Wow. See, that's really like that's like that's less than a Honda S two thousand. It's less than my car than an FRS. That's really crazy. Isn't that wild? An EcoSport is is three thousand to three thousand three hundred and sixty. <laughs> but that's because it can come, it comes with a turbocharged engine and an all-wheel drive system. Yeah, but wow, it's just the idea that an EcoSport is close to seven hundred pounds heavier. And the let me take a look at the CHR just for reference because that's another CHR. So I don't know about the CHR, but the HRV is twenty nine hundred to thirty one hundred. So this, it, it's I'm starting to worry about how many corners were cut building the case. <laughs> like, does okay, it have so a cardboard like floor? The, or like, there's clearly some in some way or another. Um, they cut some corners because there's some weird, like, quality issues. When I first got into the car, they had just put, like, the, the winter floor mats on, I think, or they just cleaned maybe the floor mats, and... And they were made of cardboard? The little pins that hold the floor mats in place, well, one of them was, like, ripped out of the floor completely. Okay, that's your that's your indictment of the entire Nissan Kicks experience. No, and then, like missing missing me, floor pin, say, two on ten, would not the, buy. When I opened the hood... <laughs> Uh, there's a there's you know a hood prop as there should be, but usually the hood prop, if, especially on a compact car, it's like mounted to the hood rather than the um the the the, the hood. Of the, I mean, sorry, it's mounted on the top part of the hood rather than the bottom part of where the engine bay is. Um, really, I've seen that in some compact hatchbacks, and so as a result, it would be clipped up to the top part of the hood, and you would lower it and and uh, stick it into the into the where the engine bay is. Okay. Okay. Well, Where are you going with this? whatever the whatever the thing was supposed to clip into wasn't fit for the the hood prop. Then you got to customize it, make your so own. So it was just dangling in the engine bay. All right. Which was weird, and also made closing it really uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, uh, I gotta correct myself on the Miata weight. The current Miata weighs twenty three hundred pounds. Yeah, it's, the the Miata is quite uh, light, and the CHR yeah. weighs thirty three hundred pounds. Okay. So the CHR is a thousand pounds heavier than a Miata, yet, yes. yet, six hundred pounds, seven hundred pounds heavier than a Kicks. <laughs> so I think we should do an episode where we just try to figure out where the Kicks weight has gone, and we do try to figure out like what's missing the Kicks. Okay, well, it is extremely loud inside. I think uh, sound deadening was clearly um, cut in the in 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 order to help with this thing. It also achieved pretty good fuel economy. It gets around 34 miles per gallon combined. It's not nothing too bad. Um, and I don't know. I I really just enjoyed being around this this runabout it was really fun to be in 
And that's rare. So, I don't know. That's I think that's really rare. Well, it is it is rare to feel like you belong. I mean, that is not what we're talking about, but still true. Right. <laughs> Um, so there's a couple things, uh, just to close out the podcast that I wanted to talk about this week. And some things happened in the news. Most of them have to do with Ford and most of the Ford news has to do with the Mustang. So, oh, we're going um, to bring this up. You're furious about this information. I'm not but... furious about it. I'm just resigned. And, uh, <laughs> there was a teaser shot of what could be a Mustang, but might be a crossover or maybe the four door Mustang that's coming according to a dealer meeting that happened this week where dealers from across the U.S. were told, hey, you might be getting a four-door Mustang. So uh, I don't I don't understand a company that cancels successful cars selling in the hundreds of thousands of units to sell a four-door version of a Mustang. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, there's also speculation that there could be a hybrid version of the crossover coming mm-hmm. that might have a V8. I Again, I don't know who's buying that car. I don't know who's lining up to buy a hybrid Mustang. Okay. Uh, Sammy, Sammy, what do you think? Look, there's a lot to talk. There's a lot to unpack with this because I think we're still reeling from the information that Ford is cutting all of its sedan, all of its sedan, save for the Mustang. In fav- all of its cars, all of every its cars, car. in favor of in favor in in favor of crossovers and pickup trucks. Okay, I think we're still unpacking that. I don't know what this car is. I don't know what it is. If they if they are going to call it a Mustang and it drives like a Mustang, I don't care. I do not care. I think. What about the fact that the Mustang four door is going to be powered by a twin turbo V8 and positioned as a competitor to the Panamera and the Audi A7? I mean, if they can do that, that's pretty neat. I don't know what to say. Can you definitely do- definitely the same customer? I think. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know about the customer. You're right. Um, and but all I'm saying is, if they make a good car, it will help sell itself. And uh, uh, if they use, we know that's not true. If we they, know that's not the Ford Flex is an amazing car that does not sell. The the Porsche Cayman is an amazing car that does not sell. I don't think great cars sell themselves. I think the, both of those are somewhat niche um, markets, though. That's not what you said, though. You said great cars sell themselves. Well, then how does the how does the the I guess you're right. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, well, I don't know. Ford seems to think that there's this unending appetite for, for like, crossovers, for one. if this, I think this thing is going to be somewhat like a crossover. It's going to be on stilts, or it's going to be called crossover. It's like, a, it's like a sporty family vehicle, and that's what they think that they're making. That's what they're going to put the, the Mustang nameplate on. And we've seen Mitsubishi try this with the Eclipse Cross. Right. Oh yeah. And that I don't know if that's working out for them. Well, uh, I mean, they're selling just... more Eclipse crosses than ever before. So I, <laughs> I, I don't think Mitsubishi is a good comparator because they had no market to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's the Mustang has a definite market, but I just don't think that market is looking to also buy a Panamera rival or necessarily a hybrid crossover. And and if you look at hybrid sales currently, they're still extremely tiny and insignificant. You could say. So it's just it's just puzzling all around and. I don't know what's going to happen with Ford. It's They are so far the only company that's limiting themselves this way. I mean, if you look at Chrysler, Chrysler also cut all of its cars, but they only had two. So that yeah, wasn't that difficult the, to do. The 200, right? Yeah, so they still have the they still make the 300, but the 300 is kind of a legacy vehicle that's very inexpensive for them to build. So it's, you know, GM's still going full steam ahead. Toyota, Honda, everyone's still building cars. I don't see that changing necessarily. I mean, just because you build more crossovers doesn't mean you have to build less cars unless you're Ford, it would seem. I mean, there's other automakers that have definitely shifted their focus. 
Nissan, as we've seen, has not. I don't think they've made a new. The Ultima they they've updated, but they have a bunch of small cars and hatchbacks that they haven't touched in a while. Um, the Versa, Sentra, Versa Note. Um, the the Leaf, I guess, got updated because it's a it's going to be a somewhat important vehicle in the, for their future vehicles with oh. uh, with with electrical electrification. But the 370Z well, the- and the GTR haven't been touched. The Juke is being cut. Yeah, but Nissan's not a great example, I don't think, because they've had financial issues over the last few years, have they not? They're a huge. They're one of the biggest automakers in the world. They're part of the Nissan Renault Mitsubishi alliance. Yeah, and GM also went bankrupt. I mean, it doesn't the size doesn't necessarily guarantee resources. Uh, I, I I just think that the the biggest problem for not being competitive in a in a segment of the market where you once had a product is other car companies will eat your lunch. I mean, Hyundai and Kia have both updated their small and smaller cars over the last couple of years. So if people go to Nissan and say, maybe this isn't for me, they have another option. And and if people, if you're a dealer and someone bought a Fiesta and they come back to buy another Fiesta and you don't have a Fiesta to sell them, that kind of sucks for um, that dealer. That's true. And then they'll end up going to a Nissan, or, well, not even Nissan, Hyundai and Kia both updated the Rio, for example. And the yeah, so that's what I just said. So they're going to they're gonna do <laughs> exactly what I just said. Um <clears throat> There's another Ford thing that weirded me out. A lot of people were getting excited. Are uh, for I think they're reasonably excited for the new Ford Ranger coming. Um, and the Ranger is a is a global product. We've seen it all around the world. And there's also another version of the Ranger called the Raptor, basically like the F-150 Raptor, but it's a smaller package. And it's not as powerful. I I think the Raptor overseas is a diesel. Is it not? I think so. I think that's correct. So. Ford has announced that for sure we are not getting the Ranger Raptor in North America at all, uh, which is a bit of a bummer. I think that's a missed opportunity it, to to gen- generate some excitement, and especially in light of this, we're killing all of our cars story. Well, well here's the thing, though. <laughs> I mean, it is – I just looked into it. It is a twin-turbo, two-liter two two diesel four-cylinder. Uh, you can't sell that engine in North America. Okay. I mean so – They need a different engine. Yeah, so all of a sudden they have a product that on paper looks like it would be competitive, but they have to sink a ton of money into to to actually sell it. And how many would you really sell? So I I can understand them not bringing it over. Okay. And is there any other weird Ford news that you've been wanting to bring up, or are we done for the podcast? No, that's fine. Do do you want to talk about what what you're going to be driving next week? Uh, yeah, I think we can talk about what I'm driving next week. Um, I have an embargo on one story. I'm going to be going to Bahrain to drive some Porsches. I can't tell you exactly what, but that's what I can tell you. Um, and additionally, I will have a expedition, a Ford expedition next week. Okay. And next week I'm going to be talking about the 2019 Mazda Miata, which I have had the chance to drive finally. And, uh, spoiler alert, I'm super excited to talk about this car, and I'm pleasantly, pleasantly surprised by my time with it. That's really cool, because we've talked about the Miata a lot. In fact, the Miata comes up so often, especially when we're talking about uh, sports cars, lightweight cars. Or, or the Nissan Kicks. <laughs> or even the Nissan Kicks, yes. So you got to tell me if this car feels like a lighter Nissan Kicks. <laughs> All right, that's that's kind of what they were going for, I, I think, think so. and uh, fingers crossed that they pulled it that off. Was but on their, it, that was on their check shit, checklist. If you want to find out more about – what did you just say? That was on did their checklist. Did you curse again? No. <laughs> um, if, if you want to hear more Sammy cursing, if you want to find out more about the kicks and all the amazing things that have come with the world of the kicks – 
or any other cars, you can find us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. All of our episodes are there. All of our episodes are also on iTunes and Google Play Music and Spotify and all sorts of other fun um, uh, podcast yeah. podcast dispensers. Uh, Sammy, what if they want to get in touch with us and complain about how much kicks coverage we have? And how much we you said the, t- the taco was not interesting at all. Taco. Uh, so you can – there's actually a contact form on the website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And if you want to forego that contact form and just email Ben directly and tell him that your Tacoma is fantastic. And Look, I like the Tacoma a lot. Let's just head those <laughs> – let's just head those emails off right now. So, I like the Tacoma. I would own a Tacoma. You have I just to say, email him at benjamin at <laughs> benjaminhunting.com, Right. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, if you want to complain publicly, you should do that on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at Sammy underscore ha on both platforms, actually. I prefer Twitter if you're going to get in touch with me because there's just so many delightful conversations to be had on Twitter, I think. Um, and you can find Ben. He's at Hunting Benjamin. So uh, until you... Um... Come back from Bahrain, Sammy. I just want to wish you a great week, and I want to thank everyone out there for listening, and we will talk to you in seven days' time. Sounds good. Bye.